0: Christian calendar is Palm Sunday, and, and we, we just don't give out the palms, but you can imagine you've got a palm in your hand, uh, but as we uh, remember the entrance of Christ into the city the week before, Holy Week, Passion Week, before Christ was led to his eventual death that we're going to remember uh, this weekend together, so glad you could be here, a significant day to worship. Um, w- next Sunday is Easter, and, and we're going to just keep reminding you in case, I know it snuck up on a lot of us, next Sunday is Easter, and one of the exciting things, just obviously is Easter, but we're also going to be celebrating baptisms. A really cool part that we get to celebrate in New Life. If you have not been baptized and you are interested in either finding out what that means or you want to get baptized, I mean, baptism is special anytime, but on Easter Sunday, it's just a great time to be able to do that. Let us know. There's still time to do that. We can meet with you, talk through that. So would love to have you part of that next Sunday, whether 9.30 or 11.00. Um, what we're going to do, really not right now, for a quick uh, couple of minutes, so we, we do this every so often. We just want to have a time of open mic to give you the chance to share something. Again, briefly, That's that. this is not for you to give a sermon, though I'm sure some of you are very qualified you could give a sermon, but really briefly. But how, how are some ways that you see God working in your life, whether through joy or whether even through pain? But um, we want to open that up. So if you'd like, feel free to come up here and, and, and encourage us, challenge us, bless us through that. All right, come on up, Rob. And let's encourage each person as they come up here. To and introduce yourself so everyone knows who you are.
1: Um, my name is Robert Palmier. Um, I, you know, I've, a lot of you guys know I lost my mother back in November. And and um, for the last, you know, I guess five, six years, my whole life revolved around taking care of her, a lot of it, you know. And um, – Around that time, a whole lot of things got really real. I had to figure out, you know, how am I going to pay all these bills now without that income and, and take care of my kids? And and um, I wasn't as worried for some reason. Dan always talks, Pastor Dan, and always talks about giving out of love. And, and I really, I mean, giving out of just worship. Giving out of worship. And I never understood what giving as part of your worship meant. So... I figured that it didn't mean that I was giving money to the church for lights or for whatever else we needed for, but that I was giving it to God and trusting that he would benefit me from it, you know, and just trusting that whatever good or bad came from it, it would be from God and for my benefit. And so what I did was I knew I needed the job, so I decided that I was going to put in—I had some insurance money left over for my mother— and I decided that I was going to put a certain amount of money in every week and that to God, that was going to end up being my 10%. You know what I mean? That, that's what he would make. And that's just what I was praying out of. And when it got down to where the money was really running low, I remember um, Jay, my buddy Jay back there, seen me put it in that week. And he said, Rob, you are crazy. And he knew what I was doing because I had told him the whole time. And he was like, Rob, you are crazy, man. He was like, you really, you need that now more than ever. He was like, you know, that's and I was like, I'm telling you, Jay, I I got faith. And sure enough, there was people trying to help me get a job. I mean, Pastor Dan was trying to help. And none of that came through, but the job that did come through was out of the blue and right in my wheelhouse and and (laughs) was abundantly a, a little bit more than what I was putting in. So, you know, just God has worked miraculously in my life and in people's life around me. And I've seen it. And uh, I just want to say how thankful I am to be part of a house of God that is truly devoted to him. So, yeah.
0: All right. Thanks, Rob. Anyone else have anything you wanted to share before the church? <coughs> All right. Well, we're... Um we always uh, want to encourage you to, if, if you've got part of your stories that you'd like to share and even uh, ahead of time want to let us know, let, we, yeah, let us know. We'd love to incorporate that as we hear how God is moving in our midst. Um, this is the last message we're doing um, just with the timing-wise in the series through the Book of Acts. Don't worry, I'm not going to preach through uh, like 14 chapters today. But um, the le- <laughs> that, that would have been fun, all right? But we're uh, doing this last message um, Through Acts. And as I was thinking about it, uh, I have the privilege and just the opportunity right now where I I train and coach and mentor a lot of prospective church planters and current church planters. Basically, that means people who want to start churches in Baltimore, because somehow they, they look at us and think, okay, well, you got some people there. You must know a little bit. So teach me. learn. Uh, I want to learn. And, and as I hear people's stories, you know, these really idealistic and fresh-eyed, and like, I used to have eyes fresh like that, too, but really um, enthusiastic. I still got fresh eyes, right? Um, but they inevitably often it's like, you know what, pastor, I want to plant a church that looks like the book of Acts. We want like an Acts kind of community. I'm like, yo, dog, that's decent. Yeah, I want an Acts community, too. So you want like a church that's really going to be suffering a lot, huh? And they're like, Um, I was thinking more like the multiplication kind of thing. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you're talking about. But you also know, right, there's a lot of suffering involved. There was a lot of pain because um, when you study this book, when you look at this book of Acts, this early first church, one common theme that you cannot help but uh, um, see is this idea of suffering. So throughout this book, it just talks about pain and persecution and suffering. One theologian, he describes it really well saying, Acts has no purpose, no plot, no structure, and no history without suffering. And so I'm going to talk on this cheery theme today about suffering. And and I know all of you, you live really charmed lives where everything is perfect. You come here just to be able to tell everyone how great your life is. But if some of you, like me, if your life is a little hard, I'm hoping today you can find hope in the midst of all that's going on. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Lord, guide us. Help us. May we never be a community that talks about suffering lightly, that we never get so theologically orthodox that we can put on nice doctrine to say, oh, yeah, we know what's going on. May it continue to rock us in some ways. Baraka, so much that we see how much we need you, that you are supreme, you are powerful, you are empathetic, you're caring, you're compassionate, you are in control. So teach us that today. Lord, use these feeble words that that this guy has to share, Lord, and use them to draw us closer to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, I think one little passage that kind of encapsulates this idea of suffering, and we got up on the screen, or you can turn there if you want, but from Acts chapter 14, halfway through the book, it's describing an incident that happened. And, and this man, uh, Paul, and some of his buddies, they're, they're doing some ministry and teaching, and it it's strives, starting chapter 14, verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And we want to make clear, when we talk about the kingdom of God in one sense, it's already. Jesus came, and we're going to talk about this a lot, obviously, next week. But we always talk about Jesus came, he died, he conquered sin and death, and that has already ushered in the kingdom. In some sense, that's why we say it's finished, it's done, Jesus has done the work. So it's already, in some sense, brought kingdom, but there's also a sense of not yet, that the full um expression of that the full living out that's why we go through pain now because yeah jesus has come he's made all things good but there's the living out of that process so until we experience the full glory of the kingdom of god which is promised to come one day there are going to be no tears that's hard for some of us because some of our tear ducts get good work right it's hard for some of us to imagine there's a day coming when there's going to be no tears no pain no sorrow no loss No mourning. No grief. I ache for that day. But in the meantime, as we work towards that, there will be this thing called suffering in our lives. And some of you are grinding through that right now, right? But I I think this notion of suffering, it is critical for us to grasp as a people of God. And this series, you know, the title of the series is The Church on the Move. We've been looking at this small group of people that started, and, and when they were just caught with the Holy Spirit boom, God just exploded this thing and moved this thing called the church. They used to be called the way, and eventually they became called the church, just moving like a locomotive through history, and nothing going to stop this thing. Nothing going to stop it. It's the church on the move. And and that nothing includes suffering, includes hardships. Persecutions were not going to stop this movement called the church. But here's where the story is a little different than what you and I might expect. Because in Hollywood, a good story is like, yeah, you know, we got a goal. We got a purpose. We're going to get this done. But, oh, no, here's the antagonist. Or here's the drama. Or here are the obstacles that need to be overcome. And once we get through that, now we're going to really do what we were meant to do. And we got some of that through the book of Acts. And we're going to look at it a little bit, right? Some of it is, you know, we got a very clear obstacles, but even those things are not going to stop the movement of God throughout Acts and, and throughout history. But here's where things get a little nutty, and I say nutty in a, in a, a good way. Um, things get kind of crazy because it's, for the Christian, for the church, it's not merely that the suffering will not stop the movement, but it's, it's also that sometimes the suffering will even be the means by which the movement happens. It's not just that suffering is something to kind of get through. In, in the ways that God works, he will even use suffering as part of his prescribed purposes to move his church forward. And this is insane. And this is where we need to talk about how loving God is because otherwise, he, this is just insane. We can't wrap our minds around it. So I want to track us through a few key moments during this journey that the church takes through the book of Acts. And we're going to start in Acts chapter 4. And some of these things we've already preached through, looked at, but I want to look at it briefly. But Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And if you remember this, this is Peter and John. They were preaching. They had done some healing, and then they had the opportunities to preach. And Peter is preaching here. And, and after he preached, I mean, he brought it, right? He brought this amazing sermon. He, he laid down, and, and people are, are transforming. But the people in power get upset. And here's what we see as the response in chapter 4, verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, The priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So, whether it's 21st century America or 1st century biblical times— Um, one common thing that should stop a movement is arrest, being arrested. I mean, that's that's some of the um, even strategy we see nowadays with protests at political rallies is if you arrest people, people are going to see that they don't want this mark on their record, so they're going to stop causing trouble. So just arrest people. And in the same way here, how are we going to kill this movement? Let's arrest the leaders. Put them in jail. Put them where they will have no impact. So verse 3, it should have been a stopping point. It should have been a hurdle for this thing. It should have said, and they got arrested, and the church needed to pray really hard because things were looking really dire at the moment. But the, the, the placement of verse 4 here is very intentional. Yes, these key leaders, they were arrested, but the very next verse says it don't matter. <laughs> yeah, they were arrested, but he, you want to know what happens? Metal bars can't stop gospel flow. Yeah, they arrested. But this thing's going to keep moving. And and you know how it moves? Even with persecution, the church grows from 3,000 to 5,000. It's just getting started. The church grew from 3,000 to 5,000. Let's jump to Acts chapter 7, end of it, starting verse 54. And if you remember a few weeks ago, we looked at some of this. But this, this man named Stephen. One of the first deacons who was working with mercy, working with the poor in the church, um, just a, a man of God. He he brought it again, another sermon, right? Just great. Laid down history of Israel and talked about how God was moving, and just brought the hammer, brought the hammer. Um, and here's what happened in verse 54. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. And when he has said this, he fell asleep. That means he died. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So you need to understand this movement here. Yeah, you know, man, we went from like zero or like a few, few uh, maybe a few hundred, to like 3,000 followers in, 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 in a really short span, like in a moment. And, and then you took another leap, and, and you went to 5,000 as we just read earlier. there's nothing stopping this thing. There is nothing stopping this movement. There is, I mean, it's got all the juice. And and part of that juice is raising up leaders like Stephen. And in chapter six, uh, again, he's described as one of the first deacons chosen. He was a qualified man of God. He's described as full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, And just like Peter, Stephen, as well, gets the opportunity to stand in front of this large crowd and just preach the gospel. And this is an epic sermon. I mean, it's a great message. And you would think, if you're following along this trajectory, yeah, this thing can't be stopped. Man, this is going to be just like Peter. He's going to get up just like Peter, preach this, and there's going to be like another 5,000 added. This movement's going to keep crushing it. But we know that's not what happens, right? Stephen just got mad and and he's tragically killed as the first martyr of this early church. And verse one there of chapter eight, (coughs) it seems to describe how this movement ended. I mean, when we were, it should have described how this movement ended. Yeah, you know what? We had much momentum. We had much flow. We were moving like crazy. Thousands were being converted. But then our man Stephen died. And, it, and, and they scattered all of the followers except for the apostles. And, and they arrested everyone else. And that's how the early church died. The end. Acts 8. That's not what happened, right? We got like 20 more chapters to go. Because what we got to learn and what we see continually throughout this, but our lives, is that God looks at challenges and suffering differently than you and I do. Amen? God looks at challenges, persecution, suffering Death, pain, sorrow differently than you and I do. Because here's what happened as a result of what we just read with the killing of Stephen and then the repercussions. Here's what happened. And we see it in chapter 11, verses 19 through 21. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, the Greeks, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. You guys want to know what happened? The death, the arrest, the scattering. It didn't kill the church. It actually helped to spread the church. It moved this church. We're churches, and, and we got this tendency, right? Churches have a tendency to kind of get comfortable. Not in a bad way. We like each other, most of us, right? We want to be with one another. We want to hang together. And sometimes that will impede the movement of God, because why would we want anyone else when we got who we already need? And sometimes God in his providence will say, no, nah, nah, you're always intended to go, go to others. And, and he even uses these hardships to spread his people. the suffering and persecution, it wasn't just a challenge for the church to conquer here. It was an integral part of God's very plan to extend the reaches of this movement to people who had not yet heard of Jesus. That's how God was using this, including those who are not Jewish by heritage. And, and, I mean, this is just a story throughout this book. The ways that God used suffering to further his movement, we also see through this prominent man, Paul, right? The man earlier who was described as persecuting the church. We see how God moved the church through him. And and I, I want to be clear here. I dig, like, some of our modern propensity we have in the American church to kind of make Jesus popular. I, I really think that's a good thing. Like, there's been a lot of bad publicity who Jesus is, right? Like, weirdos who... Pick at things and you know like hate mickey mouse and stuff like that so we want to say no we, we we're not like them we don't hang with them that's like our crazy uncle out there we we love we love disney well some of us unless you've been there we love disney uh we we think god is good we think he's actually compassionate we think jesus wasn't just about hating people he actually loved people and accepted them and, and you know what our church we model that so we're really cool we will never offend anyone. We love everyone. Everyone's welcome here. You're never, you're never going to get yelled at here because we're not like those kind of people. We're all about. And that's good. And, and there should be a sense that when Jesus and his people enter a city, a region, the city and the region should say our, our area is better because of these Jesus people. There should be that. If you got a good church, there should be a sense where people are crying if they hear the church might close or move. They're like, no, no, you can't go. You're actually making this neighborhood better. But um, we have to recognize this message of Jesus, it's not always going to be a popular one. Because the core of it is we're telling people, you know why you need Jesus? Because your life is jacked up. (laughs) You know why you need to be saved? Because you're dying. All of the ways that you thought will bring you life are actually leading to death. And that's why Jesus is good news. So that's an offensive message. That's an offensive message that and some of you experienced, right? And Paul, he experienced that big time. I mean, some of his ministry, it was described as a lot of people were coming to follow Jesus. And he stayed in areas, and he, he led people, and he started churches. So a lot of positive fruit. But Paul also experienced a lot of negative response. He received a lot of opposition, both from Jews and Gentiles. Equal opportunity. There were a lot of people that hated him, hounded him. When he would preach in one area, they would, they would think it's horrible. So they would, like, try to kill him, and then he would keep moving to other areas. And he even describes, in, um, and we don't have this on the screen, but you can listen. He describes some of the hardships he went through as he followed Jesus. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 11. If you need to pick me up, read this, because you're going to say, okay, my life not that bad. This is what Peter says, in ch- or uh, Paul says in chapter 11. Verse 24 of 2 Corinthians. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger, 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 danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. You, you, you see a pattern? In toil. And hardship, through many a sleepless night, and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me and my anxiety for all the churches. (laughs) He say life, just, man, persecution all the time. It was hard, whether nature or people. But man, in the end, it's even every night I can't sleep because I'm worried about my churches. This man was constantly facing these hardships. Paul suffered much. But he also recognized that his sufferings were not in vain. His persecution, his pain was not in vain. There was always a larger purpose, even as we learn, and we're not going to read every part of this, that by the end of the book of Acts, Paul's imprisonment and his struggles were even the means by which he was brought to this great city, Rome, that he had always planned to go to. Because he was imprisoned, And because he wouldn't use his citizenship to get out, he was actually taken all the way to Rome. He didn't need to raise funds for a mission trip. That's what prison was. His imprisonment took him to Rome. This major city of influence, he preached and he was under house arrest. But he was teaching, uh, scholars say, from the year 60 to 62 for a couple of years. He used his time. Even Paul's chains are tools to spread the gospel of Jesus. Even Paul's chains are tools that God used to get this message out to those who had not yet heard. And guys, similarly throughout um, much of the history of the church, persecution, suffering has often been the vehicle through which the message of Jesus has gone out to the world. And And you hear um there's a famous ancient Christian theologian Tertullian. You might have heard this famous thing. He said he said, "The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. what he's basically saying there is that those who have spilled their blood as that blood dropped into the ground metaphorically it wasn't a waste that was actually fueling this movement called the church. Those were just seeds I, 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 I want to, and I believe that, but I want to also be really clear what this does not mean. And I think sometimes in the West, I think as Christians in, in the West, in, in a fairly privileged kind of environment, sometimes we can take those kind of thoughts, that, oh, yeah, God uses persecution and suffering. Oh, he's spreading the gospel through death. Yeah, you know what? Every person that's having their head cut off by terrorists, oh, they're fueling this gospel movement. And, and we got to be careful that we don't kind of have this removed, weird, like celebrating tragedy and pain that I think sometimes in the West we can do. We can, oh, we can be almost too smart in our orthodox doctrine and say, well, God is in control, so even these things, God's using it. Can you not see? Um, I, I think that's heartless. I think that leads to weird, heartless, privileged, kind of comfortable belief that we can sit here in nice, comfortable America and say, oh, yeah, those suffering, it's all for the glory of God. Um, as people of justice, our, our perspective on suffering is not some emotionally removed fatalism. Oh, yeah, God's in control. This is all part of his plan. We should grieve for, we should actively work for and, and, and advocate on behalf of the persecuted church. As, as much as if they were your own flesh and blood brother and sister who's being persecuted. We should actively pray, work, give, go, do whatever we can. So I needed to say that because here is what I am saying. Christians are not strange people who seek out death and hardship and suffering. If that's you, you're going to hate our church because I don't like suffering. (laughs) Christians are not weird people who seek these things out as somehow a higher level of holiness. However, when we do endure suffering, and, and be clear, it's not an if, but it's a when. That when we do endure suffering, it does not mean God is not moving in our lives and in our world. Amen? That when we do endure hardship and suffering, it is not, not somehow, some evidence, oh yeah, God ain't with you. Oh, God must be ticked off at you. Oh, God's not moving. Oh, he's on break. And guys, can I encourage you, don't automatically use the hardships of your situations to determine that God is not with you or that your faith is somehow not genuine. Don't use hard things going on in your life to kind of give you reason to say, you know what, man, I must have done really something for God to be ticked off of me. Wow, I must not be in his will. Wow, I, I must not have enough faith. And, and I want to be clear. Um, there are some things, some hard things that we endure that's totally our fault. <laughs> Amen. Because I don't want you to hear, oh, yeah, you know what? God is allowing you to endure all this suffering, and you're so innocent. No, there are some things that we happens. to are dumb. Like, if I'm up at midnight, and if I have, like, two dozen hot wings, again, I try not to make this a, a regular. But if I would do that, like, extra spicy, like, two dozen, and then I wake up in the middle of the night, and I'm oh, I'm moaning and groaning. Oh, why am I enduring the suffering? It's so hard. God, are you not out there? Do you not care? No, dude, it, it's because you ate two hot wing, two dozen hot wings right before you went to bed. You're suffering because of bad choices you made. Sometimes the hard things that we endure are our own fault, and we need to know that. Don't go blaming someone else. We are a blame culture, right? But sometimes it's our, ourself. But the reason why I say that is because I want to give some caution, especially against some of the more bo- po- some of the popular Christian teachers out there, even on TV. Even if they got like millions of Twitter followers or whatever, just because someone's popular doesn't mean it's necessarily true. Because there's a lot of teaching out there, um, basically that says, you know what, the purpose of God is wanting to bless you, and the way He blesses you is by giving you a lot of stuff. And as your problem is, you just don't have enough faith. So here's how you demonstrate faith: take what you have and sow it. And what, what sow means, give it, give it to us, right? Take what you have, give it to us, and then God will reward you. With great uh, riches or health. That's why people call it health and wealth gospel, right? Basically, the purpose of God is to make your life more comfortable. And I, I want to affirm, I think there's a part of the th- uh, our life where we give God glory for good things we have. Every good and perfect thing comes from God. We should give God thanks. Just like Rob was saying, for a job, it's appropriate to God, thank you. That's from you. But I, I think here's the danger. Um, I think the danger is maybe not even so much um, what they say that God will give you if you believe. I think sometimes the challenge is what God will not give you because you believe. What I mean by that? Because sometimes the teaching is, you know what? If you truly believe, you are going to avoid physical pain in you and your family's life. If you truly believe, you wouldn't be going through that financial calamity you're going through right now. If you really had enough faith, you, you, you wouldn't have that cancer in your life right now. If you really had enough genuine faith, you wouldn't be going through that depression right now. And, and here's where I think some of those dangers of the theology are apparent. Because we can even believe that. Not, and we're, we're nuanced enough. We're, we don't think like that. But man... Would I be going through the relational heartbreaks I'm going through right now if I truly had faith? Why, why, man, why, why? And we can start to believe that our situations, whether good or bad, are the evidence, the primary evidence that God is really with us or not. When the truth is, yeah, sometimes we know God is with us because of the good things we have. But sometimes we may have absolutely nothing, and it is the evidence that God is with us. because he shows us that even if we have nothing, we got God. Because this kind of theology, it is like offensive to people in some parts of our world who got nothing, (laughs) nothing that you and I would glory in. But all they do is praise God because they recognize, yeah, we got nothing. But man, we know the God of the universe. and He knows us. Praise him. Praise him. And and it has practical implications. Some of you have heard of this very well-known teacher, um, Johnny Erickson Tada, great woman of God. And her story is basically as a young lady, she was paralyzed from a diving accident. She was paralyzed, and that's been part of her testimony. And she advocates on behalf of talking about suffering. She advocates on behalf of... She has ministries called Johnny and Friends where they minister to those who've been through um, physical hardships and parallel, all that great stuff. I remember listening to her once and telling the story of how she got into an elevator at one of these conferences, and she's well-known, and there was someone, a really well-meaning person in the elevator looked at her and just looked her in the face and said, Johnny, I am praying for you really hard that you will have enough faith one day that you will be healed. Because I, I believe you're great, but I there, there and, and you un, you understand right? You see the fallacy of that belief that somehow the reason that she was enduring, experiencing what she was, was because she did not have enough faith. And and the, and you just gotta believe enough, right? Why are you struggling? Because you don't believe enough. And that's just horrible, horrible, unbiblical teaching. And I just saw this last. I was reminded of her last week because I saw this quote that she said here. My, par- my, para- my paralysis was part of God's strategy to further the gospel. Wow. My paralysis was part of God's strategy to further the gospel. Cause she recognized, yeah, God can speak through anyone. He can speak through a donkey. He could have spoken with me if I had my legs fully working. And if I didn't have to sit in a chair my whole life, if my hands were not, he could have obviously spoken through me, but I've seen the way he's spoken because of those things. And give me a platform that I would never have otherwise. And that her brokenness was the very means by which God did something far more than He would have ever done if her body was whole. And it's important for us to understand these things because, yes, in God's providence, He uses, He even uses suffering and brokenness on a big picture level, to spread the good news of his kingdom. I mean, that's what we see in Acts. That's what we see throughout history. And, and I think that's a good lesson for us in the West, in the American church. I, I love America, right? Please understand. But I think there are some challenges in the in American church that we have somehow equated the movement of God with power. And I don't mean power of God, but like structural power, that the bigger buildings that we can have. The more people we can pack in, the more money we can have, the glitzier television commercials we can have, the bigger billboards we can have, the more influence we can have, the more people in politics we can have, the more corporations that we can have that are Christian. And again, not not that those things are bad, but somehow we have equated, we will move this thing forward, the more power and influence we have and the more uh, just grandiosity. When the truth is, yeah, God uses those things. But God has also historically moved when the church had no influence politically. When the church was a bunch of rats running around when the light came on, <laughs> hiding. Meeting every week, meeting every day, knowing that if they get found out, their heads are going to get chopped off. In those times, God has often moved. Christianity, we, we, I think we get it twisted sometimes in our in our current culture. We somehow think the more we have, the more God will move. And God wants to continue to remind us, in your weakness, I will be your strength. And sometimes the less we have, the more God moves. Sometimes the less we have, what do people do when they don't have much? Man, we're on our faces praying. We're like, God, if you don't do this, we are in some deep doo-doo here. There's no way any of this is going to happen if you don't move. And God reminds us in our weakness, he will often glorify himself. So I think there's a good reminder here of, of persecution, brokenness. But, guys, I also want to bring this on a macro level in each of our lives. Yes, it's easy to look at the big picture. Yeah, God uses suffering. God uses suffering and hardship. But, guys, I think he also does that in each one of our lives individually. God also uses persecution, hardship, suffering in each of our lives for us to experience God. I've seen it in my life, and I've seen it by talking to many of you. I've seen it in my life. Um, There are some times that I would just not, uh, without some of the depressions I've gone through in my life, without some of the relational breakdowns I've had in my life, without some of the physical calamity I've had in my life, without some of the family challenges I've had in my life, without some of the fail, most of the failures I've had in my life, I I would not know God the way I do today if it were not for a lot of these sufferings and hardships, and brokenness. It's been integral in my journey, and I know from talking to many of you, it's the same thing in your life. You have needed some of these things to go really bad for you to see how good God is. And and sometimes we only discover that life is truly found in Christ when we die to the things that we've always been looking to for life. Sometimes the only way that we experience Jesus is really the path to life is by having everything else we've put our hope in just crumble (laughs) and saying, yeah, I got nothing else. Thank you, Jesus. It's that famous quote, right? You may never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. You may never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. So yeah, God's way of transforming the world, transforming each one of us is often through suffering. And guys, especially around this time of year, this should not surprise us because we see that the story of our Lord Jesus is one that's all about suffering. And Paul, he, I mean, he testified this in Acts, right? When he was talking about Jesus from Acts chapter 26, and verse 22, he's talking about his story and he talks about Jesus. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And this is critical for us to understand because you're going to hear some theologians say, you know what? Jesus, he gives us examples of how the man's trying to bring you down and, you know, that power structures. And Jesus was like a victim of the political systems today. And maybe that's all true. But you, you need to understand nothing that happened to Jesus was out of his control. It's not like he getting beaten, saying, oh, where's this coming from? I had no idea. Oh, what's, what's, what's that big nail? Don't, don't bring that nail in there. Oh, that crown of thorns, that better be for someone else's head. Oh, you, you're not bringing those lashes for me, are you? Oh, that's for me? Oh, your disciples, y'all you running away? You, you, you go, I didn't know that was going to happen. Jesus is fully man, yet he's also fully God. I, and I, I'm not smart enough to explain how that all works out, but he knew what's happening. He told his followers, yeah, you know, guys, this is great, but I'm going to be dying soon. But in three days, I'm going to rise from the grave. You need to know this. This was all part of Christ's plan. It always involved suffering. It always involved pain. That for you and I as broken individuals to receive life, it had to take the only innocent person ever to give up his own. On our behalf, on a thing called the cross, having his life taken, but in the big picture, not taken, he gave it. And and I say that here, not just as theology, but I want to encourage, especially, again, I hope there are some of you in this room that this is all theoretical. You're like, yeah, you know, one day if I ever experience suffering, I'm going to file this away. It'll be really good stuff. I hope hope there's some of you like that here. But I'm guessing if you're like me and like a lot of the people I talk to here, your life is hard. There are hard things. Some of you are going through relational hardships. Some of you are going through very real-life physical hardships and suffering. Maybe it's not even you, but there's other people in your life. Some of you are going through financial calamity. Some of you don't know what's going to happen next week with your job. Some of you are going through depressions and mental illness. Some of you are going through extreme loneliness. Some of you, because you've chosen to follow Christ, your life is actually harder than when, it, when you weren't. Because you've made certain decisions for integrity, for honor, and you're actually seeing the brunt of it. But I want to encourage you if you are going through hardships and suffering, because if your suffering ever causes you to doubt that God cares about you, consider what Jesus suffering says about God's love for you. If you are ever tempted to look at the situations you're going through right now and saying, why am I going through this? This is painful. If you're tempted to do that, can I welcome you to fix your eyes on the loving Savior who gave his life in suffering for you because God loves you. And I'm not saying don't ask hard questions during your suffering. That's totally okay. We need to. When you're going through hard stuff, it's okay. It's appropriate to ask really hard questions. Um, So I'm not saying don't do that. But may I suggest that the one thing we can't ask is if God cares or not. Because he showed us in the cross he cares very much. (laughs) He hates our suffering. That's why ultimately Jesus suffered so that we wouldn't have to In the larger kingdom, glory. Close your eyes with me. And can I actually ask you to stand as um, our worship team comes up? (coughs) And I want to ask you to, um, just as you respond to the word this morning, obviously this has big picture implications for how God is moving in our world and, and, and for us to know Yeah, you know what? Sometimes people are always quick to say this is what's going to kill the Christian faith. No, you know what? Probably that's going to help to flame it. That's how God's always worked. So that's good, and you can pray about that. But I want to also encourage you, if you are going through hardships today, maybe you even came in this morning and you were doubting the very goodness of God because you're looking at your life and saying, if God were true, if God were kind, if God were just, why my life? And if that is you in any sense, can I invite you, Just bow your head before the Lord and just ask him honest questions, but also say, God, remind me of the cross. Remind me that you do care. If I ever need to ask how much you care, I just look at that wooden tree and see the blameless Savior giving his life and having his blood shed. And that in that, it gives me perspective even on my suffering that I might be going through right now. God is not removed. God does not look from afar and give you nice Christian platitudes. He doesn't talk about windows opening if doors close or stupid things like that. What he does say is, I will be with you in the midst of your hardship. You are not going to go through this alone. You want to know how? Because the God of the universe came into this world of flesh and blood, taking on our sin, our pain, our hurt, all the way to this thing called a cross. And he conquered that sin and death by rising from the grave. And we're going to celebrate that big next week. But in the meantime, we journey through our trials and our tribulations. Bring that to God this morning, guys. Bring that to God. Lord, help us as we come to the table. For those of us who would confess faith in you, help us to remember that this table symbolizes your broken body. That theoretically, this was not some theoretic you care about us, but you showed us through having the Son of God, having his flesh torn apart. And you remind us to eat of that cracker to remind ourselves of real flesh that was torn and you tell us to take this cup and as we dip it in the cup reminded that the forgiveness of our sins comes because the God of this universe had his blood shed as Jesus and Lord help us to not have easy answers to things but have true answers that are found in you so we remember that this morning and we pray for one another as we do that as well thank you Lord That your care for us is deep, deeper than we've always recognized, far greater than we could comprehend, and you're teaching us little by little. So I want to welcome you during this time to sing. Can I also invite you to pray with one another? Perhaps maybe you know someone who's going through some hearts to pray for them right now. Maybe even come up together to receive the communion and come up to this table and remember the sacrifice and care of Jesus. But Let's sing, let's pray, let's receive communion and worship our great God.